Hey, good morning, uh, RCC, Blunstown Shipley, so good to have you uh, joining us. Uh, I gotta tell you, to be honest, it's really good to see that you're here. Uh, when you're a guest and you are gonna be somewhere two weeks in a row, you just assume nobody comes back for a week two. So thank you. Um, that have been real embarrassing for all of us. So it's good that you're back. Um, hey, I'm excited. We're gonna conclude this conversation uh, today. Let me kind of start by asking you a question. And the answer, by the way, to the question is yes. So you don't have to answer out loud. Here's the question. Have you ever found yourself unprepared? So some of you would say my entire life is defined by that question, right? Of course we have found ourselves unprepared. Uh, some of you found yourself unprepared 20 minutes ago. I don't know. I mean, we, we seem to always be unprepared because life has a way, right, of sneaking up on us when we are not prepared, even though maybe we should be. When I thought about this question, um, man, I can think of so many times in my life where I thought I was prepared and really wasn't that prepared. Uh, probably the, the, the most blatant example was when um, I participated in a triathlon which sounds really, really impressive, but it was not, okay? They, they, they have triathlons that are like a real one, like real athletes do. Um, the, the, these people, I don't know if you've ever done one of these, good for you if you have. Like, they swim, I think, 38 miles. No, I'm just kidding, I think it's like two, but I mean, it might as well be. Swim two miles, like in the ocean, with sharks and stuff. Um, they, they bike uh, 100 and something miles, like 112 miles, and then they run a full marathon. I couldn't do half of one of those individual things, okay? A triathlete does all of those things like back-to-back, -back, like legit, it's crazy. Um, I have a friend that does these. Um, he's a nut job. He's a complete psychopath, okay? So he does these things, and uh, one day he was telling me about it, and he said, you should try it. And I was like, no, I shouldn't. That seems, who, who would want to do that? You know, he's telling me about being up at 4.30 in the morning, and I'm like, no, I, I just know. And so he said, though, they do these mini triathlons, right? And I, I didn't know what that was. He starts describing it, and I thought, well, that didn't sound horrific. It sounds like a, you know, a fun challenge. I mean, not fun, but I mean, you know, a little athletic challenge. I mean, I'm not really that much of an athlete. I'm a little more of an athletic supporter, but, you know, we'll see. It's a locker room joke. So, some of you will get that later. Um, so, I, I, I decided, all right, I'll do this mini triathlon. Here's what a mini triathlon is. You swim like 800 or so meters, which is not nothing. You uh, bike, I think mine was like 14 miles. Again, not nothing, but I mean, you know, not that ridiculous. And you run a 5K. Most of you could probably do that today, right? I mean, maybe, but it, it, it isn't ridiculous. It's not like the real athletes thing. And so I, I decided to train for this, right? So I started running and, you know, running stinks. Nobody likes running. If you're not being chased, why would you run? But I did it practice running. Biking was the one that was easier for me for whatever reason. I just kind of liked biking, so cycling wasn't that bad. I mean, the spandex weren't the best thing in the world, but whatever, you know. Um, I didn't bring you any pictures, by the way. You're welcome in advance for that. Um, but the swim was the one that I hated the most. Uh, in fact, the first day that I went to swim, my friend, who's the actual athlete, went with me, and he said, do you know how to swim? I'm like, yes, idiot. I'm not a moron. Like, I mean, I know how to swim. He was like, no. Like, do you know how to swim for like a race? I was like, oh, that's different than like to the diving board? Like, that's different? He goes, get in the pool, just swim one length of the pool, right? We're in this little pool. So I swam to the end. I mean, I don't know if you've ever done this before. I got to the end, I was like, oh, how was that? You know, I mean, I was exhausted. It was just one little length of the pool. Um, he said, we gotta really work on this swimming thing, you know? So he taught me how to do it. And I learned how to swim for distance. I wasn't great at it, you know? 
So when the race day came, I was pretty pumped, man. I'd been swimming and running and biking, was ready to go. I get to the race, it's freezing that day. It's like a record low at this race. In fact, when we get there, they're making an announcement. Uh, Today's race is wetsuit eligible, which is only when it's really cold. Now, I don't have a wetsuit. I'm not like a real athlete, I have spandex, you know? So I'm, I'm there, I mean, all the real people are in their wetsuits, I'm just like an idiot in my spandex, I'm already freezing, you know? We get in the water, again, I, I can't describe what this is like, um, it's terrifying, okay? So we get in the water to start swimming. It's freezing cold, right, it's freezing cold. I, I get about, you know, one length of the pool length into this lake, you know, and there's people clinging onto buoys, holding onto kayaks already. You know what I'm thinking? I should be doing that. Like, I'm immediately thinking, should I be clinging for life? Should I hold on to the buoy? I mean, I'm panicking, right? My lungs are burning. I mean, I, I, you know. And by the way, I've been preparing to do this swim in a pool. Now, these pools, if you've ever done this before, have little lane lines that keep everybody else's splash from, from getting in your way, including their feet from kicking you. It keeps that from happening. There's a line on the bottom of the pool. You know where they put that there so you don't swim in circles. But they don't have that in the bottom of the lake. I didn't know. I just, I didn't, was not prepared. So I get in the lake and start swimming. Apparently in these swims, you're supposed to swim while looking up, while getting kicked in the face by all the other swimmers. I mean, listen, my goggles got knocked off at least three times by somebody's big foot, you know, I'm inventing strokes, I'm so tired. At one point, I'm not kidding, at one point I was on my back and somebody swam over me. (laughs) Who was in spandex too? It was super awkward, you know? I tried to apologize, but I was underwater, I couldn't, I mean. If you would have seen the picture of me in this swim, (laughs) they they take pictures, you know, along the way, right? It's like a beginner thing, so they take pictures. Like, I showed my wife the picture of me when I got out of the water. She was like, oh, man, you are angry. (laughs) I was like, I know. I have never been more joyous and angry in my entire life than the moment I got back on land. Like, I biked like a maniac out of anger, you know? I was just so angry and grateful to be out of that water, you know? Here's the reality. I was completely unprepared. Like, I thought I was prepared, right? I, I, I had the wetsuit. I mean, I'm sorry, I had the, 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 the spandex. I had the goggles, good ones, like real ones that the, 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 the swimmers wear. I had the little hat. I had all the stuff, you know? I laid my shoes out. I mean, I did all the things I thought I needed to do. Yet, when I got to the race, got in the water, realized, oh my goodness, I am completely unprepared for this. Now, I've never done another one. It was too traumatizing, PTSD, but... If I ever did another one, I guarantee you I would be better at it. I'd swim better at it. You know why? Because I would be more prepared. I would know what to expect. This part of what life is like, like we, one of our biggest challenges in life is that we are unprepared for the things that we really need to be prepared for, but we don't know that we're unprepared until we're in the moment where we need to be prepared. Some of you are students, maybe you're in school or something right now, or you know, if you're old like me, you gotta think back a minute, but do you remember like when you told your mom how prepared you were for the math test? 
right? You were like, I have been studying, and you haven't. You've been talking on the phone to your girlfriend, but whatever. Like, I, sorry, that was my thing. You, you have been, you know, studying. You have been working so hard. You've been doing all the things, but you're not really. You're not really working that hard, but you think you are. Bless your heart, but you're really not, you know? And you thought you were prepared. And then you got to the test, and you were like, is this Greek class? I have no idea. I have no idea what's going on. I thought this was math. Why are there X's and Y's? What in the world? is going on, you know? Or some of you will definitely resonate with this. If you have ever had a child, (laughs) you thought you were prepared. Like, in fact, you had the best parenting advice before you had kids. Like, you were giving everybody advice. You knew exactly what was going on. You know, people would talk about labor and delivery. You're like, how hard can it be, you know? And then you had a child, and you realized, oh, my goodness, I am grossly unprepared for all of this. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm unprepared for all of it. But you didn't know, you thought you were, right? Here's one that is very familiar for most of us. You're, you got married, my daughter just got married. My oldest daughter, just, I got to marry her, it was really fun. Um, and by the way, we love the guy. People always ask, do you like him? I'm like, yes, we would have killed him if we didn't. So yes, we like him. He's a wonderful man. Loves Jesus, loves my daughter. That's all I cared about. So he's incredible. And, but they got married like a month ago. And I, I, I didn't think about this very much because when I got married 28 years ago, uh, I, I don't remember anything about the wedding. I mean, I remember a lot about the wedding and I don't remember preparing though, but my wife and her parents did lots of preparing. I found that out. She's a daughter, you know? There was lots of things to do for the wedding. Lots of checks to write, surprisingly, Right? <laughs> Lots to do for this wedding. I mean, we were unprepared for how much it was going to take to really have a person get married. And this is true for all of us that are married. We, we spent so much time preparing for the wedding. We spent very little time preparing to be married, but we spent tons of time preparing to get married. And then we got married, and it was so much fun, you know? Uh, I, I mean, the honeymoon was amazing. Um, there are kids in here. I probably won't say. Okay, so... The honey, I've always wanted to do a series called Naked and Afraid, marriage series, whatever. Okay, so you, that's a show. It's a TV show on, on like Discovery or something, whatever, I don't know. Seems amazing, a fun series. It'd be a lot of people would come to church for that. Um, so, you know, it starts off great. The first week is amazing, it's so great, you know, and then, uh, you know, you're like a month in, you're like, I hate this person. What? I mean, I'm not strong, you know, maybe, but you were like, I very much dislike them, you know? You know, I, I, I remember we were, uh, I got married, we were a month into our marriage and my wife, I don't remember why, but we were angry about something. She got in her car and she drove around, I live in Atlanta, she drove around the entire 285 of Atlanta. Uh, if you've ever been in Atlanta and driven down 285, I mean, that's, it's dangerous. And, and she was driving fast because she was angry. Did the whole loop, you know, and then came home. She was like, I had to go the whole thing just to calm down. And, you know, and I remember, oh, I must have, I must have caused that. If we would have prepared more for the marriage, not just the wedding, the marriage would have been a little better, right? And you know this, because sometimes you did prepare. You prepared hard. You, for instance, go back to school for a minute. You prepared for the test. You had a tutor. You actually read ahead. This is shocking. It really makes school easier. You read ahead, right? You practiced problems. You took uh, practice tests, and then you showed up to the test, and you were like, killing it. Why? because you actually prepared. If you have more than one kid, right? When that second kid came along, you were so much more prepared. I tell my first kid constantly, I'm sorry. She's like, why? I was like, well, because you were the guinea pig. We didn't know what we were doing. 
Our other three kids are so much better off than she is. Why? We were just smarter as parents. Our first one, we didn't know what we were doing. We had no idea how to parent. We had to learn with somebody. So we ruined one, but we have three more, all right? So, so listen, if you're prepared, things go so much better, right? Marriage, I mentioned this earlier, right? When you're prepared for the wedding, things can be maybe okay, but if you work really hard to prepare for the marriage, the marriage tends to be more successful. Why? Because the more we prepare, the better things go. Of course, sometimes we're unprepared, and it doesn't really matter. It's not that significant, but... There, there are some things in life that we don't prepare for can be unbelievably significant. In fact, sometimes we don't prepare for things and it really can destroy life. It can destroy the lives around us. Um, sometimes this happens in our kind of financial world where uh, an unprepared expense pops up, you know, Uh, Maybe the air conditioner goes out or your daughter says, I want to get married and you're completely unprepared financially, you know, for that. Um, You know what that feels like. And and you you think if we had been preparing for this, this would be easier. But we weren't preparing. We weren't saving, right? We just spent what we had and a little bit more sometimes. And now the air conditioner is out. Uh Uh-oh, we're unprepared. Or, Or maybe, and this is almost impossible to fully prepare for, but maybe like a natural disaster happens. This is actually a picture from Mariana. Uh, you know, a disaster happens. And of course, if you could have been prepared, it would have been easier to deal with, you know. But it's almost impossible to fully prepare for that. Or maybe something like this, uh, a pandemic happens, you know. And everybody's unprepared, you know. And, and of course, like we look back on 2020 and we think, man, if it happened again, this is, think about this. If this happened again, we would deal with it so much better. Why? Because we would be more prepared. But in 2020, we didn't know what to do. So what did we do? We took a bunch of precautions. A lot of them were maybe helpful, some weren't. But again, we didn't know. So we had to do what we thought was gonna be safe because again, we were just completely unprepared. It kind of reminds me of that Benjamin Franklin quote, maybe you've heard this before, but by failing to prepare, you're preparing to fail. That's really life. When it comes to life, virtually everything in life, If you are not prepared, odds are you won't be successful. If you are unprepared, success is going to be by luck if you have it. Most of the time, when we enter into any area of life unprepared, we just don't find success. We we don't succeed because life can be challenging. This is true of triathlon swimming, as I can attest to, right? It's true for school. It's true for parenting. It's true for marriage. It's true for everything including war. You know, we, we, we started talking last week about this idea that we are in a war. And if you think about earthly wars, can you imagine going into an actual earthly war unprepared? You'd have no chance, no chance at all. I, I remember, and most of you will remember this too, but uh, May the 2nd, 2011, then President Barack Obama uh, addressed the country. Some of you will remember this. It was late at night. And he, and he came to the podium and he said, Um, I want to share some news with you. Tonight, a successful operation was taken uh, and we have captured and killed Osama bin Laden. Do you remember this? Now, we heard about it in that moment. And the majority of the country um, celebrated, which I get it, it's a little weird to celebrate death at the same time, you know. There was a celebration, you know. and, and, And for us just as citizens, we just heard about this thing and, you know, we didn't know all that had gone into it. But 
I, I've watched some documentaries about this. I've kind of studied this a little bit. It's actually pretty staggering how much preparation went in to this moment. Maybe some of you know about this. I mean, they've been looking for this individual for about a decade. Eventually, they get a, a, a kind of a, a tip that he is staying with his family in this home that's secured by this bunker and these walls and all these things. So you know what they do? They don't just say, well, let's just get some helicopters and go see what's up. They don't do that. They start preparing for a long time. They built a, a complete replica of the compound inside and out. They practiced for weeks and weeks and weeks entering the compound, dealing with everything that might happen because they wanted to be, surprise word, prepared for everything that they may face. And then when they actually went in to do it, it did not go perfectly, but because they were so prepared, they were able to be successful. In fact, they were so well prepared that even as they entered the compound, the exact people who they thought they would bump into, they bumped into. When they got to the bedroom where bin Laden was, they knew exactly who would be there and they predicted exactly what he would do. He did exactly what they thought. They were so well prepared. It's why it went successfully. In this kind of two-week conversation, we've been talking about this war that we are in. And it's a spiritual war, not an earthly war, which makes it a lot more challenging to prepare for, therefore a lot more difficult to succeed in. We, we said this last week that the battle, the battle is really between God and angels and believers, okay, those of you that are Jesus followers, and on the other side is the enemy. It's Satan and demons, which makes perfect sense, but also non-believers. Now, I've talked about this a lot last week. I won't do it much now, but just for a second, we're not trying to like kill the non-believers, okay? This is not like fist fight those people far from God. In fact, we should feel incredibly sorry for the non-believer. And the reason is that they are in the war and they don't even know it. I mean, we're in the war and we hardly recognize it. They have no idea. They're just pawns. They're pawns in the war that, that Satan and demons are using to try to work against God and work against you, work against me as, as a follower, as a Christian, but they don't even know. So really, we should do everything we can to help them realize who God is and how much they are loved by him. That's what we should do because they're oblivious. They don't even know. In a way, we don't often know. We, we, we ignore it. We're oblivious to the war most of the time. Things are happening around us all the time and there's conflict and uh, there's lies and there's division and we don't even pay attention to it. We don't even know why it's happening. Meanwhile, Satan is just smiling away. He's so grateful because we're oblivious, because we kind of live in the state of not paying attention, which makes this war so scary. You know why? Because the scariest enemy is the one that you can't see who uses tactics and strategies that you don't recognize. That's by far the most difficult enemy to fight against. This is why the authors of scripture, and especially in the New Testament, were very clear about this war. Like they, they didn't kind of hold back any punches about this. They knew that it was real. Not just because they were facing it, because they saw it everywhere. They knew that Satan was real, that demons were real, that this war was real, and that they were participating in it. They were fighting in it. Peter said it this way. I love how Peter says it. He says that we should be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I mean, that is strong language. I mean, a roaring lion. I, I talked about this last week, but I've seen lions in the wild. They are terrifying. To think of one 
prowling around looking to attack you. That's terrifying. And of course, you know who the people who are most easily devoured are, don't you? The unsuspecting, the unprepared. That's typically how we find ourselves in this war. I mean, last week we talked about this. We talked about how we're in this invisible war and that we're kind of fighting this war, but we don't even know we're fighting in it. And so therefore we end up being uh, uh, really uh, taking the brunt of the pain from it. We, we, because we don't know we're fighting in the war, we end up having parts of our lives ruined, relationships ruined, conflict, temptations, all of these things happen and we don't even really know why, you know? We don't even know why that's really happening. Um, I, I, although... There is a way to recognize it, and there is a way to really kind of better prepare for it. Uh, the Apostle Paul talked about this um, in a, multiple letters he wrote uh, that are in our New Testament. He talked about this. I, I introduced this passage last week, but let me just repeat it really quick because I'm going to point out one specific word. I think it's so great. He says, uh, for though we live in the world, right, we live in this earthly world, we do not wage war as the world does. So again, we're not using guns and cannons and you know, F-16s or whatever they use now, right? Uh, uh, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So we do have weapons and they are available. However, they're not the weapons that we typically think of. Uh, there's this city uh, in the 2,000 years ago in the first century called Ephesus. It's a very important city in the Roman Empire. It's also a very spiritual city. Uh, like the seventh wonder of the world, this temple to uh, Ar Ar Artemis is there. I mean, it's this incredible place, right? And very spiritual, but not very Christian. And so there's churches are popping up because of Paul and the missionary journeys that he has had. So he writes them a letter and he addresses spiritual warfare and he tells us exactly how to fight the battles. He tells us exactly what we need to do. In fact, this letter uh, to, to, to uh, the Ephesian churches and Christians really is the preeminent teaching on how to battle the spiritual war that we are in. So I want us to kind of read through that today because here's my goal, is at the end of this day, you walk out of here fully prepared to fight every single day so that you can win the battles along the way, okay? So here's what Paul writes to these guys. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Now, we mentioned this last week, but we cannot forget this, okay? Our heavenly father is the strongest. He's the one who wins, okay? The war is done overall, okay? The victory is, is had. In fact, last week we said this, that we don't even fight for victory in this war. We get to fight from victory in this war, because at the end of the war, it is over, it has won, okay? However, it doesn't mean that there aren't skirmishes and battles daily along the way. It doesn't mean that just because you've won the war, you're on the winning side that you aren't gonna suffer along the way. I mean, as far as I can tell, every time there is a war, the winning side still has casualties. The winning side still experiences difficult situations. And that's true in this war too. I mean, we need to not forget that. I mean, we need to not forget that we are kind of eternally invincible. You know, once you place your faith in Jesus, you are adopted into his family. You are a child of God. Nothing can ever change that. You are eternally safe in the war. However, you are temporarily temptable. In this earth, while we are on this side of eternity, we can be tempted. We can be deceived. We can lose the little skirmishes and battles along the way that happen every single day. 
Uh, you can think of it this way, like Satan may not be able to snatch you from heaven, but boy, oh boy, he's gonna try to make life on earth hell for you. That's his goal. Uh, Satan may not be able to snatch you out of the grip of God's family, but he sure can make life challenging for you. He sure can lie to you, deceive you. He can make uh, relationships full of conflict. I mean, he can destroy so much about this earthly life that we live in. So, so what do we do about that? Here's what Paul says we should do. I love the way he says it. He says, so put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Again, the devil is smart. He is scheming, planning. This isn't like, you know, ad hoc attacks. I mean, there, there's a plan behind this. And the plan is unique for each of us because we're each tempted in unique ways. We're in unique situations. We have unique relationships. There are things about your life that can give you know, the devil a foothold into your heart, into your, into your head, into your mind. Uh, Paul continues, he says, for our struggle here on earth, our struggle is, against, uh, is not against flesh and blood like a normal war, but against the rulers of which on this earth Satan kind of is, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, which is the spiritual world around us. So Paul says we are fighting something that is legitimate. We can't pretend it's not. And basically what he's saying is if you walk in unprepared, you're gonna suffer the consequences. If you walk in unprepared, you're gonna get devoured. Because this is exactly what lions are looking for. So what do you do? He says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, which is every day, by the way, okay? So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you have done everything to stand. And then he gives us the armor. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, uh, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, he continues. Uh, in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, which some of you were thinking like an FSU Florida Gator helmet. Nope, very different, okay? And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Those are the six things. Six things that God, that Paul suggests that we put on every day so we will be prepared to fight, so that we will be prepared to resist. Each of these things comes with some significance. Let me just kind of go through them really quick, okay? Here's the first one, the belt of truth, the belt of truth. When, when Paul talks about the belt of truth, here's basically what he's saying. He's saying that when you buckle the truth around you every single day, you are prepared to hear from the father of lies and recognize it as a lie. When you know what's true, you can hear the, 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 the deception and recognize it as such. Did you remember the very first time we ever even hear about Satan? It's in Genesis. I mean, we're only a few chapters into the Old Testament, and here is Satan. And you remember what he does? He deceives Adam and Eve. And how does he do it? Through twisting truth and lying. The very first thing Satan does is come to Eve and say, did God really say you can't touch that tree? That isn't what God said. He said, don't eat of it. And she said, no, he said, we just can't eat. And he was like, ah, oh, why not? I mean, what's really gonna happen? Deceptive. 
taking the truth and just twisting it enough. That's what he's trying to do to you. He's trying to, to twist the truth, to create division, to lie to you. But when you put the belt of truth on, it allows you to recognize the lie as a lie. It's really this piece of armor that allows us to hear what Satan is whispering and go, nope, that ain't true. I'm not believing that because it isn't true. The next thing that Paul says we should do is put on this breastplate of righteousness. This is a really interesting kind of visual concept. You know, a breastplate is meant to protect your heart. It's what the breastplate does. You know, when I think about the way Satan works, these lies, these deceptions, these little whispers of twisted truth, a lot of times it begins in our head, but it so easily seeps into our heart, especially shame. In fact, if you go back to that Genesis story, it doesn't take long before Adam and Eve are, you know, making clothing, right, out of fig leaves. Why? Because they felt ashamed. Because they believed a lie, they were deceived, and now they don't feel worthy of God anymore. This is what Satan wants you to feel, that you have no value, that God doesn't love you. How could God, by the way, love you? Think about what you have done. Think about what you thought about. Think about how you treated those people. I mean, is it even possible to be forgiven with the way that you have acted? I mean, come on. That's what Satan's trying to tell you, that you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You, you, you don't deserve it. That's what Satan wants you to believe. So the breastplate protects our heart from allowing that shame to embed in us which isn't true, and none of that is true. But if we believe it, we begin to wonder if we really can be loved. Paul says the third thing, he talks about these shoes. I love it, these fighting shoes. Have you ever, um, have you ever been in a situation where you didn't have the appropriate shoes, you know? Like your friends were like, yeah, we're gonna go on a hike. And you didn't realize it was like, you know, a, this, you know, 58% grade and it was muddy, right? And you were wearing, you know, sandals. Completely unprepared, you know. I, I grew up uh, as a teenager working in like fast food restaurants and um, I remember they said you need to get non-slip shoes. I'm like, why? And then the first day I figured out, right? There's a lot of sliding around back there, you know. But when you get the right equipment, you know, you can stand firm, which is what Paul talks about. In fact, he says to stand firm in the gospel of truth. I, I don't know if you know what that means, but the gospel is a pretty simple idea. Uh, John, who was a disciple, kind of wrote it this way. It's the easiest way to understand it, that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then verse 17, which we don't often talk about, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, which is what Satan wants you to think, but to save the world through him. That's the gospel. That's what we stand firm in as followers of Jesus. This is it. All the other stuff is interesting to talk about, but it doesn't really matter. This is the gospel. That God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you so that you don't have to. And when you put your faith in that, you are adopted into his family. That is it. That God does not want to condemn you. He wants to save you. And when you put on those shoes, you can stand firm when Satan tries to whisper lies to you. Because you know what's true. The gospel is true. The fourth thing that he mentions 
The shield of faith, I actually love this one. The shield of faith is so cool. Um, when, when Paul talked about this, the Greek kind of words he uses for the shield, there were two kinds of, of shields that the Roman soldiers used. One was like a real small one, you know? The other was pretty big. It was like two foot by four foot. Now, if you were in a war, you would prefer the big one. You know, hand to hand, maybe you would take the small one. But the big one, the big one helped when people were coming at you with something significant, like a flaming arrow or a giant sword, if you'd want the big shield. But here's why he uses this one. This is so cool. These big shields also had little hooks on the sides so that the soldiers could line up and they would hook their shields together and create a wall of defense. And the wall of defense was so much more strong than the individual defender. Here's why Paul talks about this shield. Is that when Satan comes after you, the best thing you can do is be linked up with other believers to help protect everyone. In fact, when you link up with other fellow Christians, like, by the way, through the body of Christ in a local church, okay, when you link up with other believers, you prepare yourself and you can help them be prepared. Listen, this is why the local church matters. This is why, I mean, if I could say it this way, this is why your presence and participation in a local church matters. Listen, if you come to church once every six weeks, you're not really being that well prepared. And you're not helping the other people around you be prepared because they need your shield and you need theirs. So we can link together to fight together to protect each other. That's why the shield matters. And we link together with it. Isn't that a cool way he uses that? I love it. Then the fifth one, the helmet of salvation. This war, and we mentioned this last week, but the, the, the primary way that this war is fought is between our ears. It's, a, it's really a war of the mind. It's a war of our belief systems, the, the, the war of our perspective, a war of our kind of worldview. That's what this war is. And so the best way to protect your noggin is with a nice big helmet. And that's basically what Paul is saying, that you put on this helmet of salvation, meaning that you have been saved, you have been kind of embedded into the family of God through your belief, not your behavior, you're in. And even though you're gonna get it wrong from time to time, God's grace is so powerful and his love is so powerful that it can't disrupt your salvation. It cannot be taken from you. So that when the devil whispers, it just hits the helmet and you don't even have to hear it. And then the last one, the last one is kind of uniquely different. It's the sword of the spirit. You know, these first five things are really kind of more defensive, aren't they? But then this last one is the only offensive weapon. And the reason it's an offensive one is because it really offends the enemy. The, the sword of the spirit is the sword that we use to basically stab back with what's true. It says the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God is the way he uses it. And this word, word of God, doesn't just mean the Bible. Because remember, when, when this was being written, Paul didn't even know he was writing the, the, the Bible. He's talking about the character and nature of God and his love and his truth. That's what he knew. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about all the things that are true. So when we armor up, we're prepared every single day for the battle and then the minute we feel like there's an attack, we whip the sword out and we go, nope, let me tell you what's true. Nope, let me, let me tell you what I know to be true of God. Let me tell you what I know to be true of me because of God's love for me. Let me tell you what I know to be true about this world, what I know to be true about eternity. 
Isn't that a beautiful kind of way to prepare? It's such an incredible analogy, metaphor, for what it looks like to be prepared. And you know why these six things were listed? It's all just for one reason. It's simply to prepare us. This is why Paul gave it to us, to prepare believers. Please do not miss this. It's all about preparation. The entire thing, the secret to success in this spiritual battle that we are all fighting is all about preparedness. The armor of God prepares us as believers to resist the enemy every single day. I mean, as a child of God, we said this earlier, but just so you get it, right? As a child of God, right? Your soul is safe. Your soul is safe, but your mind is so susceptible. Your mind is so susceptible. This is where the enemy is trying to get in. This is where the enemy is trying to do his best work. As we said earlier, we are eternally, right? Listen, we are eternally invincible, but we are temporarily temptable. We are so susceptible in our humanness and our brokenness. So we've got to armor up every day. Can I just quickly tell you how to do it? It's not complicated, but we miss it so easily. It's this thing we call spiritual practices. Spiritual practices are really the best preparation for us. That's it, spiritual practices. I don't know if you know what these things are, but you ever heard the phrase, practice like you wanna play? Well, every day we're in this war. The better we practice with our spiritual practices, the better we are prepared in our armor. Spiritual practices are things like um, having a daily devotion where you just read the Bible. Now, you don't have to get up at 5.30, okay? You don't have to do that. I mean, I grew up in a church where like, get in a closet at 5.30 and read for 80 hours. I was like, I can't do that, you know? You don't have to do that. Just at some point during the day, spend a little bit of time reading the Bible. And it may just be a couple of verses. I mean, there are so many reading plans on the Bible app on your phone. I mean, it's so easy to do it. You would be shocked at how that will change your life. Because when you internalize the truth, it's really easy to understand what's true and what's not, when you've internalized it. This is why prayer is so important. When we pray, we're reminding ourselves that it's God's will, not ours, that we're here for, that we need him and we are reliant on him. It helps prepare us. Things like meditation can be helpful. Things like coming to church, as I mentioned earlier, helpful. Being in community. This is why we prioritize groups at churches like this. Because being in a community matters. Taking a break, a Sabbath is what it's called. Sabbaths matter. You can't fight if you're exhausted all the time. You can't fight if you don't pause to rest and recoup. Jesus rested. We probably should too. I mean, that's a part of this. Fasting, I don't know if you've ever done that before. It's a spiritual practice. It helps us refocus on who God is and who we are not. It causes us to pause in a different way. Things like generosity, as silly as it may sound, generosity is a practice that helps us of our time and our talents. It helps us refocus and prepare. I mean, these small things that we do, these small practices are literally like putting on the armor every single day that we do them. And the more we can armor up, the better we are prepared. And every day we should be prepared because I'll tell you, the Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion every single day. I mean, again, you know who the most uh, susceptible people are? Do you, do you know what kind of prey lions look for? They look for lackadaisical prey. They, they, they look for lazy ones, unprepared ones, distracted ones. 
And that's what the enemy is looking for from you. Why does this preparation matter so much? Because we're in a war. We're in a legitimate war. And whether you want to participate or not doesn't even matter. Whether you think you're in it or not doesn't even matter. You're in it. You are in it. But not only can you participate well, you can win every single day. And you can help those around you win every single day. But only if you are prepared. Imagine a soldier going into an actual war, completely unprepared. Imagine you get into the middle of fighting and you think, I'm gonna go ahead and put the shield on now. Imagine you get into the fighting and you think, oh man, I wish I had a gun, that'd be helpful. You would never make it, would you? This is what we do though, right? We get into the war and we feel the attack and then we go, God help. What would it look like in your life if you just started preparing today for what might happen later today or tomorrow or next week? That's what Paul is encouraging you to do. That's what Paul means by putting on the armor of God. It's an everyday thing. I mean, your soul is one, right? But the daily battle is gonna continue to happen. So armor up if you wanna be prepared. Can we pray together? Father God, thank you so much for Paul and just his wisdom on this. I mean, it's really not that complicated, but it, it's challenging because it just doesn't feel kind of as visceral, as real, but it's the scariest war we're ever gonna be in. So God, let's pray that you will give us the wisdom to know how to armor up every day and then God, allow, allow those battles that we're in, allow us to see them for what they are, allow the armor to protect us, and then allow our kind of sword of truth, allow that sword of the spirit to guide us as we move forward every single day. God, we love you so much. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, really quick before you leave, um, man, we are so excited. On Tuesday, on Tuesday, we are launching our short-term groups, okay? We have them for singles, for men, women, married couples. And so uh, we would love for you to be a part of that. Don't miss out on it. It's a part of the armor of God. So be in a group if you're not in one. Otherwise, of course, we'll see you guys next week. Paul will be back to start a new series. Thanks for having me. See you next time. Have a good day.